Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. All right, all right. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Go ahead and grab your seats. Grab your seats. Find a seat. Good to be with you guys tonight. My name's Noah. I help lead our youth ministry here at NGC. Hey, if it is your first night tonight, welcome. At one point, I had everyone stand up and like wave if you were new. Apparently, new people hated that. And so, um, no, I'm not going to do it because that would be embarrassing. But if you're new tonight, welcome. Super glad that you joined us. My name's Noah. Like I said, uh, we are Citizens Youth. We're a community of students learning to live for Jesus Christ. And if tonight is your first night here, we are pumped to have you. All right, we're continuing on in this series called Greater. Uh, we're continuing on in this series in the book of Hebrews. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is making an argument that Jesus is greater. And he fills the blank in about a million times. He is greater than the prophets. He is greater um, than uh, the angels. He is greater than the things that we can see. He is our great high priest and he is greater. And he is ready and available and near to the brokenhearted and the poor in spirit. He is greater. And um, I'm excited to talk about tonight's message. Go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 3. Go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 3. And as you're flipping open there, um, so a few years ago, I, um, Jocelyn and I wanted to consolidate down to one car. So like normal Americans, we had like two cars, like one car for each person. And Joe and I decided, you know what? We don't need to be like that. We can go down the one car since for whatever reason, we just decided we wanted to do that. So we sold one of our other cars. We consolidate to one. And then the car that we had picked to be like, all right, this is going to be our car for the next few years, just like broke down, just like exploded. Not really, but like um, a bunch of stuff went wrong with it, like two or three days before we were supposed to move. And so we were like to Washington state. And so we were like, man, we have a choice to make here. Um, so we decided to buy a car and this car, I'm telling you what, I really, I have it to this day. I haven't, I only accidentally bumped it to a telephone pole once. All right, long story. That's not what the story is about. Um, this car came with something that I'd never seen before. And that is like smart technology when it comes to like driving. It's, they call it smart uh, technology. And so basically what it is, is this thing is equipped with so many different things. It has emergency automatic braking. There's these cameras that are connected to the windshield. I promise this is going somewhere. So if, I, if someone cut in front of me, my car actually, before I get the chance to, will like slow down for me, which is pretty crazy, right? It's emergency automatic braking. It has automatic cruise control, which is really cool. It has automatic lane correcting. But what I do like about this car is it's very technologically advanced. It's really cool. Um, what I don't like about it is this one tiny thing. Anytime you veer off the road, just a little tiny bit, it has this beep. It's three similar tones, like beep, beep, beep. But for whatever reason, it's the most annoying sound I've ever heard in my entire life. And what I didn't realize is it's very easy to accidentally go, I don't know, like a quarter of an inch over the line. But the car, since it's very smart, goes beep, beep, beep. 
beep, beep, beep. And so sometimes this thing happens in this very smart car that we have, Jocelyn and I. Uh, Joe and I have a back and forth discussion about who's the better driver um, in the relationship. And she very much affirms that I'm a bad driver. Um, And before we got the beep, beep, beep car, there was not a whole ton of evidence to support either of our sides. However, however, with the lane auto correcting and the lane auto sensing when I'm outside of it, there's irrefutable proof that I am probably not the better driver out of the two of us. Because anytime I veer off the path just a little bit, I hear beep, beep, beep. It's actually really funny sometimes when Jocelyn and I are, are, you know, this is, in theory, this has never happened. There's a discussion about a certain maneuver that I had chose to make in the car and um, whether or not that was wise or not to drive that specific way. This is all theoretical. This has never been a conversation in our car whatsoever. Um, It's really, really hard to try and defend your choices as a driver to your spouse when like five seconds after getting in that discussion, your car goes beep, 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 right? And it's just like, okay, all right, I get it. I get it, I'm a bad driver, I'm sorry. And the best part is there's no way to turn it off. There's no way to press the button and be like, hey man, you've beeped enough times today. I get it. I'm not always in my lane that I should be, right? No, it is permanent. Like this is a thing that is gonna exist for, I don't know, the next 20 years, depending on how well we keep it. I say all this to prove a point, right? There's a point in this story. Um, we're in this section in Hebrews and uh, we've been seeing the author bring us through this big argument of who Jesus is and why he's important, why he's better than everything we see around us. Uh, last week, we saw a picture of faithfulness. Uh, through uh, a picture of Moses. Uh, The author talks about uh, the prophet Moses, the leader Moses, who brings the people of Israel out of Egypt. And tonight, the author is gonna paint a picture of people who are veering off the path pretty badly. He's gonna paint a picture of the people who followed after Moses, which were the Israelites and the choices he made. And in this picture of an unfaithful people, we see a subtle warning. We see a subtle warning, it's a stern warning, it's an exhortation, it's an encouragement, it's a plea to stay on the straight and narrow. It is a call for the believers of Christ to stand firm with Christ. There's so much that can discourage us today as Christians. Being Christian is not easy. I hope that we never communicate that, right? Um, It's simple. It is a simple life, Christian life, following after Jesus, but it's not easy. Jesus promises to be with us. And oftentimes we're tempted to swerve to the left or to the right to kind of go off the path a little bit. And maybe you know somebody who was once following Jesus and they were walking with him closely or he or she was walking with them closely. And over the past few years, there's been a number of things that have caused them to just completely rear off the path and just completely go a different path. Maybe there's been times in your life or seasons in your life throughout your high school or middle school career Um, where you've been tempted to go down a road, or maybe you started to wander down a road that was not what Christ had for you. It's not an uncommon thing. And tonight, the writer of Hebrews is subtly warning the listeners to stay on the path. There's a responsibility for every Christian in this room. We all have a responsibility in this room tonight, us, you and me, to help our brothers and sisters to stay on the path of righteousness a subtle warning to stay on the straight and narrow. And he's gonna do that through an illustration, through an, uh, a picture of an unfaithful people. And so I'm actually really excited for the text tonight. Um, Lord, be with us as we dive into this. Hide what would be my opinion and bring your word to life. 
Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Hebrews chapter three, starting in verse seven. It says this, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and I said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. What's happening here in this first few verses? We, here we see a picture of hard hearts. We have a picture of hard hearts. So the, uh, the author here is intimately familiar with the Old Testament, obviously. He is uh, quoting in this exact passage, Psalm 95. If you flip back to Psalm 95, you don't have to, but if you're reading through the Psalms, uh, so often uh, moments like this, we see um, authors that try and make a point and they draw to the Old Testament as an authority figure, right? The author is speaking to a group of people who are now believers who probably would have been really, really connected to their former faith uh, of the law. And now the author is trying to say, hey, Jesus is greater than the law, but he's still using the Old Testament to affirm uh, its um, its divinity and its authority. And so he's quoting Psalm 95 here. Uh, we have a picture of hardened hearts. Someone who has a hard heart has made the conscious decision to stop listening to the wisdom and instruction of the Lord and to rebel. Somebody who has a hard heart has willingly chosen to walk away from the Lord, to veer off the path of righteousness, and to stop listening to wisdom and to start pursuing sin. That's someone who has a hard heart. Last week, we saw a positive example of faithfulness. Moses, the leader of these people, a great patriarch of the faith. And here, we see a picture of unfaithfulness, a negative example. People who are not faithful, and that's the people of Israel. It says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. This is a specific time in history. On the testing, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and stall my works for 40 years. This is God grieving because of the rebellion of his people. If you don't know the full story, we're gonna read a passage here in just a second. But, but God has always desired to dwell with his people. He created man and, evil, uh, man and, man and women perfect in his sight. Uh, mankind chose to rebel. Evil enters the world, but God has always strived to make things right. He chose a, uh, a man named Abraham to lead a group of people, to bless them, uh, to bless them, to have them prosper. And through them, they would bless the entire world. Except that was the plan. Didn't always go the way um, it was set to, to go. Uh, the people of Israel rebel time and time and time again. They find themselves enslaved in Egypt, but Moses, God raises up Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. But for whatever reason, out of Egypt, this generation who saw God do amazing things decides like, eh, I don't know about God these days. I'm not really sure if he has my best interest in heart. I'm not really sure if he's someone worth worshiping. Um, and instead of the, when the Lord was trying to test them, these people are now testing the Lord. It says, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, on the day of the testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test. It's not a great thing. You don't want to do that. And saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. 
they have not known my ways. Sin is always a, a heart issue. Sin is always a conscious decision of the heart. There's always a moment where we um, choose to rebel against God in our own sinfulness. And this is where uh, the people of Israel have grieved God because of their sin. Uh, this is from Numbers chapter 14. And we're gonna put it on the screen here. If you didn't believe me, uh, here's a moment where things kind of come to a head. It says this, we can throw that on the screen. It says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. All of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would we have not died in the land of Egypt or would that we have died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Things are not going well. All right, this is, uh, they send out spies. The Lord promises, hey, you're gonna get this land. You're gonna get this land. They don't listen. And then this is a verse I really want us to focus on. Numbers chapter 14, it says this. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long are they not to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? Keep that verse up there for a little bit. The Lord's talking to Moses. How long will these people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? Hardened hearts. A hard heart is somebody who doesn't believe in everything God professes to be. A hardened heart typically comes from a belief issue. Scripture contrasts two hearts in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. A heart of stone and a heart of flesh. Now, not literally, because you and I all have hearts of flesh beating in our chests right now. But the Lord describes people who have turned away from him and don't listen to him as those who have hearts of stone. But those who are humble before the Lord have hearts of flesh. A hardened heart is not receptive to the word of God, but a soft heart is able and ready to listen to God's word. A hardened heart is not able uh, to be molded and shaped by God, but a soft heart can be easily molded and changed and shaped. A hardened heart can't change quickly because it's so rigid, it can only be broken. And a soft heart changes quickly because there is no resistance. And the people of God in this exact moment have what? Verse eight, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. I think of this. Um, I have a rock. I've got a massive thing of clay here. The Bible uh, contrasts these two things, a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. Those who are falling after the Lord have a heart of flesh or a soft heart or a heart that is receptive to the things of God, meaning this. God is able to take your heart He's able to mold it. He's able to shape it. He's able to change it. He puts you through a trial or tribulation. He's able to work with your heart. He's able uh, to transform it. He's able to make all things new. 
Um, if I had water up here and I needed this uh, to have more water, it would be receptive to the word of God and to, uh, to being molded and to being shaped. And this is something that the Bible talks about very positively, to have a heart of flesh. But oftentimes in life, when we rebel against God, we have not a heart of flesh, but a heart of stone. Something rigid, it's something that is not gonna change whatsoever, right? Unless it's completely destroyed, this is what this rock is gonna look like. It's just gonna stay like this. Unless it's completely shattered, a hard heart or a hard stone can't change. And God is against this. God wants us to have a heart of flesh or a soft heart. And the call here is to not harden your heart like the Israelites did on their day of rebellion because of their lack of belief. The Israelites have hardened their hearts before God and the Lord So here's a question. Why do some people harden their hearts? It's a big question. It's a complicated question. Why do some people harden their hearts? Why do some people begin to take steps away from God? Why do some people veer off the path of righteousness? I've seen that pretty much every step away from God is rooted in some sort of false belief about God. I've noticed that every single step away from God is driven out of a heart or a false belief about God. Now, I came up with a list here. This isn't exhaustive. This isn't complete, but here's a few examples. Why do some people choose to have their hearts hardened? Why do some people uh, walk away from the Lord? Uh, First one could be pride. Pride. The false belief is God doesn't know what's best for me. I do. Uh, that's someone who's probably going to harden their heart. They have an immense amount of pride. This is the original sin. Did God really say this? Adam and Eve had a choice right there. I don't know. Maybe I can become like God. Pride. Why do some people harden their hearts? They have a false belief that God doesn't know what is best for them. I do. I know what's best for me. That's pride. Why do some people harden their hearts? Could be driven out of anger. This one's a tricky one. A lot of us are angry. A lot of us have deep-rooted anger inside of our hearts. Um, some anger leads people to walk away from the Lord or to wander away from God. And an anger that causes not righteous anger, but an anger that takes root in your heart as bitterness is driven out of the false belief that God isn't sovereign or good. God has wronged me and my circumstances are too difficult for God to love me. All right, people who are really angry with God believe these things. Whether they want to say them out loud or not, it is driven out of a false belief that God isn't sovereign. And we're going to talk about this next one. Probably the main reason why people harden their hearts is sin. And the false belief would be God can't satisfy me, but my sin can. And the people of Israel, when they hardened their hearts in the wilderness against God in rebellion, fell into one of these categories and some of these. There's pride. There's anger. God, why did you bring us out here to die? Weren't we better off in Egypt? They went to false gods. They're worshiping uh, false images, right? All of these things cause people uh, to harden their hearts. And the Lord is telling you and I today through this example in the book of Hebrews, pointing back to the book of Psalms, pointing back to the book of Numbers. The Bible is very complex, but it's awesome. But the main idea is this. Don't not harden. Don't harden your heart before the Lord. 
Don't harden your heart. Do not rebel against God. He is sovereign. You can have anger. It's okay if you're angry about something, but you must believe that he is sovereign and working in your life. You can be disappointed. You can have some level of pride and you can be struggling with sin, but do not harden your heart before the Lord. I've noticed all of these are rooted in a false belief in God. And the people of Israel have done this time and time and time again. Brought out of slavery in Egypt only to find themselves slaves to sin. Where's your heart before the Lord? Where's your heart before God? Do you have a heart of flesh? It's open and receptive to the things of God? Are you kind of closed off and callous to the ways of the Lord? And God's word, I don't know. I just like, I don't really want to listen to what it has to say. I don't know, youth group, it's just like everyone there is kind of faking it. I don't really think there's anything for me there. I don't know. I don't really want to reveal this sin because I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Is your heart hardened before the Lord? Where's your heart before God? Don't buy into the lies. Don't listen to the lies. The consequences of the sin of the people of Israel see here in verse 11, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. We're gonna read about that. We're gonna see what that means here in a second. The consequences of sin are serious. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's see if this verse gets any more encouraging. Verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There that word, there's that word again. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Exhortation in Christ protects the believer. Look at this verse here. It says, take care brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, leading you to steer off the paths of righteousness, leading you to question the things of God, leading you one step further away from his grace. If that is happening, this is what you should do. Exhort one another every day. Exhort one another every day. Exhort means to challenge or to encourage or both. Right? It's a challenge that produces change. Uh, this isn't like, hey, just a friendly reminder. This is like I'm grabbing you by the shoulders and I say, you need to believe this. You need to know this about God. You need to know this about yourself. That's to exhort your brother or sister. And it tells us to do that when somebody is doubting or unbelieving or they are walking down the wrong path. It says, take care, brothers. Least there be in you any evil. Um, there's evil in all of us. There's unbelief in all of us. So this is the community of faith. This is who he's writing to. This isn't to unbelievers. This is to the church. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. To be encouraged in Christ will protect you. That is why this is so important. 
That is why you and I need a clear charge to exhort our brothers and sisters with truth in Christ and to hold fast to our original conviction. What's our original confidence? The original confidence is Christ. For we have to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It is a call for people to hold on closely to Christ and to exhort the brother and sister who needs to hear that. Who needs to be encouraged with the truth? Who in your life needs to be gracefully rattled with the truth of God's amazing grace? Who in your life needs to be just like looked directly in the eyes and told the truth and exhorted in the name of Jesus, um, God loves you. In the name of Jesus, this sin is uh, not what God has for you. In the name of Jesus, uh, you are free in Christ and this thing that you're reverting to is not where you should be going. Who needs to hear that truth? Faithfulness to God thrives in a faith-filled community. Faithfulness to God thrives in a faith-filled community. When you are connected in community with brothers and sisters that are full of faith, your faith will thrive. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. We meet once a week or twice a week, right? And we love it. We exhort one another, we encourage, we challenge, we press in, we lean into one another and tell them the truth of the gospel but we need to do it every day. You may need to receive that news and you may need to give that news. There will be times in your life where you need both. Make sure that you have a community. Make sure you have people to exhort one another, to encourage them in the truth, to remind them of truth specifically of Jesus. Look at this here. What's the danger if we don't exhort one another, if we don't encourage one another in the faith? It says this, that none of you may be hardened in the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, To buy into sin is to buy into deceit. Sin can never deliver on the promise that it makes to you. Sin can never deliver on the promise it makes to you. This is gonna make your life easier. This is gonna make your life a little bit better. This is just gonna bring you a little bit of peace right now. This is gonna make you experience something awesome. Sin can't deliver on those promises. Why? Because sin is deceitfulness. Lest your heart be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Your encouragement to your brother and sister in Christ could keep them from sinning. Your encouragement, your constant daily encouragement to your younger brother and sister in Jesus can keep them from sin and protect their hearts from becoming hardened. That's the church. That's us. That's here in this room. That is why it's important. We have stories. You probably know somebody who for a season or a time or maybe right now have walked away from the Lord and they're beginning, and maybe they haven't completely hardened their hearts, but it's calloused and it, it, it's unreceptive to the gospel and they're experimenting with so many different things the world has to offer. My challenge to you is to exhort them before they get to that spot. And you don't need to control their response, but you can control what you say. Tell your brother and sister, Tell them, remind them, show them the truth of the gospel. Tell them to turn from sin and run to Christ. Don't be afraid to exhort your brother and sister about the specificness of their sin. 
It can get uncomfortable, but this is where Christ-centered community gets uncomfortable, but gets like really, really powerful. When you're with a group, like if, if you're with a, a group of people for multiple years or months of your life and you feel confident to tell them this, I would say there's something powerful that comes uh, through brother, brotherly and sisterly affection um, out of a grace-filled exhortation against sin. Translation, hey, I know you have this new boyfriend, but sleeping with him is only gonna make your life way worse. Hey, I know you're just saying that you're like drinking on the weekends and your parents kind of don't really care and it's like kind of not against the law you're saying in this some weird backwards way, but that's gonna ruin your life. Hey, I, I know that your, your parents did some things wrong and like you're not happy with them, but this constant attitude that you have for them is bad and it is sinful and you should repent. Some uncomfortable conversations. There's some awkward coffee moments. But why do we need to do it? Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Call out the deceitfulness. The enemy's trying to convince you of something that's not true. Call it out. Be specific. Why? Because you will protect your brother from sin, which would lead to death. Do it. It is possible. For we have come to share in Christ, meaning we're one in Christ, if indeed we hold to this original confidence. Hold firm to Christ. Exhort your brother. Tell them. Get in their face. It's worth it. It's worth an awkward conversation. Somebody's salvation. Somebody's direction somebody who's right on the edge of a cliff and they're about to fall off. If you love that person, you're not gonna say, hey, like, good luck with the cliff. No, run away. Run away. In grace and love, we do these things, but we are required to. All right, look at verse 16. It says, for those, for who, excuse me, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell into the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest? But to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So we see that they were unable to enter with unbelief. The author returns to the story of the Israelites and shows us this, that rebellion leads to death. Rebellion leads to death. There's no glamour in sin. There's no glamour in rebellion. It is a long and painful road that leads to death in the wilderness. It is a stark reminder that with God there is life and without, without him there is dry bones and sand. This generation would not see the promised land. Do you know that? I don't know if you know your Old Testament history. This generation would not see the promised land of God because of their what? Unbelief. So that we see they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. So that's where the text ends. And the question is like, well, is that it? Is that the message? 
Is this a warning against us trying to like wander away from the Lord? Okay, I better not do that. Is this a fear-based message? Is this a stern warning from an ungracious God to be better and to shape up? And the answer is no, not at all. Where do we see Jesus in a text like this? Look at verse 19 again. Throw that on the screen. Rebellion leads to death. That is what the author is saying. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief is the issue. Unbelief leads to rebellion and rebellion leads to death. That's what the author is saying. So that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So what can save us? What can save us? Because you and I are subject to wandering away from the Lord just like the Israelites were. What can save us? Belief. If unbelief keeps us away from the promises of God, belief brings us to the promises of God. That's where Jesus is in this text. Belief in Christ is what saves the lost. If unbelief is the issue, if unbelief is what brings us to the wilderness, then belief in God will bring us out of the wilderness into his promised land. If unbelief is the issue, then belief is the antidote. Belief in Christ saves the lost. Only Jesus can change hardened hearts when we believe in him. Only Jesus can change a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Only belief in Jesus will get us to the promises that he made for us. I have a few verses to prove this. This is Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. It says this, and I will give you a new heart. This is God speaking to his people. And this is his promise to you as well. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in all my statutes and carefully obey my rules. Only God can transform hearts of stone into hearts of flesh through belief. Acts 16, verses 29 through 31 This is a story of the Philippian jailer. It says this, and the jailer called for the lights. It's this long story. We don't have time to get into it, but uh, Peter and Silas or Paul and Silas are imprisoned and an angel brings them out of the jail and this is the scene that uh, that follows that story. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and he brought uh, brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Paul, the guy who says this would later say something similar in Romans chapter 10. It says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and there's that word again, and believe, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Belief in God allows his rebels into his rest. Belief in God allows the rebels into his rest. This generation of the Israelites 
didn't see it. They died in the wilderness because they didn't believe. It is a harsh reality. But it's true. It's just what happened. And the same is true when we don't believe in Christ. But if you're listening to my voice right now, and you're alive, and you're a conscious human person, congratulations. God is calling out to you right now. And my call to you today is the same call that the author of Hebrews is saying. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So my call to you today is to believe. Belief in God allows the rebels into his rest. God doesn't give up on those who've rebelled against him, but don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. If you need a new heart, he can give you one. If you need a new heart, he can provide you one. If you don't have belief, you can ask for belief. And my exhortation to you is simple. Believe in the Lord. Believe that he is good enough and you will live a life full of contentment. Believe that he is good and he, you will live a life of security. Believe that he is sovereign and you will live a life of peace. Believe that he is near to you and you will live a life of joy. But believe in his son, Jesus, and you will live forever. That is the good news of the gospel. That our entrance into the rest of God or the uh, eternal connection with God is found only in belief. So if you're struggling today, if you're struggling with unbelief, I would say this, believe. And that's not to say there's not questions and we can ask questions, we could talk through all that. But my call to you today is simple. If you hear his voice, turn and listen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful for this time. I pray that in this room right now, there might be a few wanderers. There might be a few that are... Um, walking uh, distant and far from you, God. Uh, They might have calloused hearts. God, I pray that you would bring them back, that they wouldn't uh, take this opportunity and they would just say, man, that was a convicting sermon. I guess I should just think about it for a little bit. But no, they would do something about it. God, I pray for those in the room who hearts are just completely a rock right now. It's just the heart of stone, God, and you're calling out to them and you're saying it's time to come home. Would they listen, God? And God, I pray for the brothers and sisters in this room. We're prone to wander. It's, it's just who we are, God. We're prone to believe false, we're prone to believe lies of pride, of sin, of arrogance, whatever it is, God. Help us to not um, walk down the path of unrighteousness, God but would you remind us who you are? Would you remind us that the wilderness brought us nothing, but your rest brings us peace? And would we believe that with our whole hearts? We love you, Lord. We're thankful for these words, these powerful words, these words of backhanded encouragement. I pray that you would allow it to penetrate our hearts. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.